Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, Episode 253, Brent Bowen Interviews Jamie Todd Rubin. In this discussion at the previous Worldcon, Brent and Jamie discuss fitting writing into your spare time, Jamie's being the Evernote ambassador and his uh, posts on organizing his life into a paperless system. He also talks about his story in the Beyond the Sun anthology, edited by Brian Thomas Schmidt. Two things I wanted to mention before we get to the show. Thank you to one of our faithful listeners, Robert Junker. He has joined the Contributors cast and will be posting our SF book releases this week post every Tuesday. So if you are an indie author and would like to have your book mentioned in this list, be sure to email the show at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing at gmail.com. And give us uh, the link to your book on Amazon and its release date. Also, we want to congratulate Michael J. Sullivan. His book, Hollow World, is out. It's through Tachyon Publishing. And if you buy the print version, you get the ebook version for free. I believe the official release date is April 16th, so if you have a pre order of the Audible version, that won't be out yet. But it looks like it's been released early. We have reviewed it on the website. If you'd like to check it out, I really enjoyed it. And uh, hearty recommendation. If you enjoyed time travel stories, go check it out. Thanks for listening, folks, and enjoy the show. It's basically about the business of writing, and they tell you the stuff they wish that someone had told them when they got started as writers. You know, somebody can be a successful marketer and not necessarily provide a quality product. I'm going to let Moses go because he's frothing at the mouth to talk about this one. <laughs> <laughs> I like writing. I like reading. I like to immerse myself in books. So that seems like a pretty good career choice. <laughs> oh, you sound terrible. What happened? I'm just kidding. Oh, man. <laughs> And now, constructed on a Zeppelin by an apprentice mage and delivered by a rocket ship to a benevolent dragon, Adventures in Sci-Fi Public Sci-Fi This is Brent Bowen at the 2013 Worldcon in San Antonio. I'm so pleased to welcome our next guest. Hands down, he has to be the most organized author in science fiction, juggling fiction, family, full-time career, all the while sharing his balanced living tips on the blog, which I know is one of the best out there. And my apologies, because I don't always comment. I'm a lurker, so you'll just have to know that. As for his fiction, it has appeared in Analog and Apex magazines with a recent story in the anthology Beyond the Sun. Jamie Todd Rubin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for the kind words on the blog. This is great to be here. And just so you guys know, too, Jamie, if you ever encounter him and you've had a little, spend a little time with him, he has the best, most proper man hug out there in science fiction as well. So everybody, everybody in science fiction fandom needs to know that the guy knows proper form, just proper form last night as we encountered each other in the bar show. On so many different levels, it's been good to see you this week. Yeah, this has been great. I've had so, a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun last night, too. Well, and, and I got to see living proof of this this morning, actually, as you've been putting it on Twitter. And it, But it's one thing I rarely see you actually put on your blog. So let's get out of the way. Uh, I'm going to, or I'm going to completely think you're superhuman. How little sleep do you actually get? 
Well, when I'm here, it's probably different than regular life, but here it's been under five hours. But at home, on a normal week, it's, you know, six or seven hours. It's not too bad. Okay. Yeah. So you're not entirely superhuman. And I, I wanted to use that to frame it for, for the rest of our conversation here. So people have a sense of uh, there's always some sort of trade-off or, oh, or, yeah. or giveaway. You know, you're sacrificing something as you're juggling everything. And the first thing I'm thinking about is, well, he doesn't ever blog about his sleep, you know, so or how little sleep he gets. So that's the sacrifice is he's giving up, he's giving up rest and we're going to be putting him to an early grave. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and actually... I, I've been doing the blog in one form or another since 2005, and I realized I've got over 5,500 posts at this point, and I realized that I probably posted on everything, and I think I may have a post or two on sleep recently because of the Fitbit stuff and the... Yeah, the and Fitbit. The, and, you know, kind of Scott Edelman and I going back and forth on some of that stuff, but but posting our how much sleep we got, and so it's easy to do when you have a machine to tell you. Yeah, and with the kids, I know sometimes you'll comment on lack of sleep, you know, having to get up early because the kids yes. have gotten you up or yes. you need to, they've woken you up. So, but I had to get that out of the way so we could frame frame that for some of our later conversation. So we met at Worldcon last year and what was interesting, and, and I recall this vividly, despite us probably having a pint of beer over the conversation, is that I remember you telling me that you might always be content to write short, short fiction and then all of a sudden, I venture out into Twitter and I see the word novel mentioned with Jamie Todd Rubin in your post. What, what happened? Well, <laughs> yeah. So I do. I mean, I, I, I think of myself as a short fiction writer. And more and more, I just like stories. You know, I like telling stories. And I started a story back in February. And I don't... It, as I've gotten done this more and more, I don't really go into a story thinking it's going to be a short story, a novelette, or, or whatever. It's going to be whatever the story is. But this one was a little unusual. It just kept growing and growing, and I got to about the 30,000-word mark, and there was no end in sight. And I'm also, I, I grew up on baseball, and I'm a big baseball fan, and I'm not superstitious, but, you know, streaks are important in baseball sure. and stuff, and, you know. <laughs> and I was a little bit... I was afraid to say, admit that I was writing a novel publicly because I thought as soon as I admitted it, it would I would stop writing. But once I reached, you know, the seventy thousand word mark, I thought people are seeing me tweet that you know I've been writing this and I'm up to this many words and stuff, and so I figured I wasn't really hiding any secret. I just <laughs> it's like hello, Captain. Audience. And I think I wrote a post <laughs> saying that okay, here's my confession. I'm I'm I have something to confess. I'm I'm writing a novel now. Yeah. So and I expect the first draft to be done in a week or two. Actually, probably, hopefully, a week or two. So one thing that I haven't necessarily seen in those in those posts is what the what the story's about. What can what can you tell our listeners about maybe what you've got coming with that thing? It, it it's hard to say for a couple of reasons. One, until the draft is done, I don't always know what it's about. <laughs> and the other is when I was, you know, when you're when you first get into this, you're really eager and you're going around talking to everybody, other writers, especially conventions mm-hmm. like this, about your stories and stuff. And I learned for me that when I do that it sort of bleeds away some of the excitement of the story. So okay. I've sort of backed away. But in short, I mean, it's kind of like a not quite first contact, not quite artificial intelligence, and not quite Jack McDivitt-style archaeological mystery. Oh, very so, cool. Very, very So cool. that's sort of what I would 
categorize it as so far. And the, the little thanks for the elevator pitch at least. That's good. So that <laughs> I, I did not I, I, and I did not plan that. I know I, I, I kind of had an idea you might you might ask and and I thought about it a little bit but I didn't really come up with an elevator pitch. I was talking with somebody last night and we were talking about writing and, and I was talking about the story and and I said I don't I don't have anything like that yet and in part because it's just a first draft and I sure. don't know what it's gonna be but also because I'm not at that stage yet where I think I need to be thinking about that. Okay. All right. Well, and no, it's good. I mean, people, we can watch out for it in an extended view. So yes, yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I mean, my plan, if everything goes to plan is I'm going to set it aside for a couple months to write some short stories finally, and then get started on the second draft in November or December and maybe have the second draft finished by the end of the spring. Okay, great. So you'd mentioned just a moment ago that you still view yourself as a short story writer. How has how has this process of working on you you you've reached more than novel work yes. at this point. So how has this changed your perspective on on being a short story writer if at all? I mean, the way you view the the way you view story the I think the the first thing that comes to mind is I'm a little bit nervous now to write a short story because I feel like it was real adjustment to be not as compact as I like to be. I like the compactness of short stories. There's, 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 it's like, there's no, it's the minimum of what you need to get the story across. And this you have, and when, in this story you have, I have a lot more room and I can expand on a lot more stuff. And to some extent it feels like, do I really need that stuff? And then to some extent it's like, well, it's kind of cool to be able to do that. So I, I think it, it's, it's, it has, it makes me nervous about when I come back to trying to write a short story. It, you know, with the way I've gotten to be able to write every day now, it doesn't seem like it would take me more than a few days or a week or so to write a short story. But I've also, it's a completely different mindset that I've gotten mm -hmm. into for this. So I don't know. I, I guess I guess we'll see. Yeah. It's it's hard to say. You cross that bridge when you come yeah. to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you, you mentioned a little bit about kind of the elements of the the novel, the AI component, the not quite first contact. So knowing that you're also, you have the posts that go back to the, you know, the golden age and you catalog that. And I know you're also an avid fan of, of current genre and other writers. What, what topics or types of stories out there right now are, are interesting you? What do you, what do you find of unique and of interest? You know, gosh, I think there's kind of a mix. I, I like, I mean, I love stories that, that Jack McDivitt does. I just, I'm a little, I've gotten a little tired of serial type stories where, or novels where it's a series and you have to, you know, you get to the end of the book and it's like a cliffhanger and you have to wait a year for the next book. And, and I really like things where it's almost like a, the same characters again and again just in different situations and and so like the um the alex benedict novels that, that jack mm -hmm. mcdivitt does i really like pretty much anything by connie willis <laughs> i uh i i like and um, i i just got a copy of the the best of connie willis and i think i've read every story in there but i'm reading it again and it's awesome. just it's such a blast and we were talking at the bar last night a little bit about elizabeth bear too or yeah you yeah. were talking about anything her short work. oh i i think one of my favorite stories just in general, non-genre specific, is uh, Sunny Liston Takes the Fall. 
uh, by Elizabeth Bear. I heard her uh, give a reading of that at ReaderCon, and I just, I really, really like that story a lot. So there, there's, a, there's a pretty good mix. Um, I, I, another confession, um, one thing that has suffered in this sort of last six months of this new schedule is I'm way, way behind on my short fiction reading. I used to be able to keep up with pretty much all of the the the, ma the, the larger magazines out there, you know, Analog and uh, Asimov's and FNSF and Lightspeed and Clark's World and Strange Horizons and IGMS and Apex. And I used to be able to keep up with, with them, and I'm so far behind right now. When you were doing that kind of reading and, and reading for short, were you reading predominantly short works? As part of that being the craft, or were you include mixing in longer works? Because I, I interviewed Rich Horton, and you know, Rich is a friend. And when I would, and he reviews for Locus, and then talking with Rich, Rich, he he said, I rarely read a novel. Well, that was it. But, but when I was doing that, I rarely did read a novel. I I, I mean that. But I was also, I kind of go through these phases where, for a while, it was I couldn't get enough short fiction. And in fact, I was reading everything that was coming out. And then on vacation, we, we go down to Florida for vacation at Christmas, and for two weeks, I think I spent day after day going back to Gardner Desois' Year's Best from the very beginning and reading as much of everything in those that I could sure. to go back because cause I kind of came, came I, I kind of came to it as a serious reader later than, than those started coming out. So, But yeah, I wasn't reading novels then at that point. You were consuming almost primarily short stories. Yeah. Interesting. You'd mentioned... A uh, just a few moments ago, this process of the streak you're on. So, as part of this process, you've been working on on everyday writing. Uh, how did you decide you needed to adopt a habit? What, what happened that you said? What was the change in you that said this is a behavior that I need to that needs to become a part of my life? I I, I can't actually remember what the specific thing was. I remember this was back in February, and I've always been a very the opposite of a prolific writer if I wrote two stories a year that was pretty good for me and there were some years where I would even struggle with that with 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 my workload but I, I really got to a point where you know I was selling more stories and I was being commissioned to do stuff and I wanted to take this more seriously and at the same time I was finding that I didn't have time to exercise and what wasn't reading as much as I could and sort of three things happened at once I um, discovered audiobooks which I always, I, and I have posts going back years saying I could never imagine reading an audiobook and hearing somebody else's voice. And then I have a post, if you go and you look in the, around February time frame, you'll see, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> I, I have no idea what I was thinking. And there were two advantages. One is I could kill two birds with one stone. I could go walking a lot, and which, I've, which I started doing in February, walking a lot each day, seven to ten miles a day. And... And listening to audiobooks at the same time, and I realized that you, you really only need little snippets here and there. I would walk, you know, in the morning a little bit. I'd walk at lunch. I'd walk in the afternoon a little bit. And I thought I could probably do the same thing with writing if I really wanted to get serious and try and write every day. And, and at the end of February, I said, I'm, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to aim for 500 words every day. If I don't, if I don't make 500 words, it's fine. I, the streak is what. It's really the habit of writing every day. And I got to, beginning of February 27th, I got up to 140 days without missing a day. That's great. I ended up missing a day at Launchpad. On, it just, there was no time in the day. I missed a day the day I came home from Launchpad because it was completely wiped out. 
but I'm my streak is back. I'm aiming to beat the 140 day streak. I'm at like 43 consecutive days right now, and I think overall I'm somewhere around 188 out of the last 190 days. That's impressive. And it, it's gotten to be, you know. It fits into my schedule. I, I found out where I can fit it. I found that I don't need to block out hours of time. I can, if I have 20 minutes to write, I can write 300 words. If I have 30 minutes, I can write 500 words. I can learn. I learn. I have two little two little kids, and I learn to to write while they're watching cartoons at night before they go to bed, or you know, while they're having a bath or something like that. Um, so you're not actually committing time in no, the morning or lunch. No, or I like no, that. and, and that's really. Sneaking it in wherever you possibly yes, can. Yes, and I used to try, I used to say, I, I generally am an early bird, and I thought, well, I'll get up at four and write for two hours while everybody's sleeping. But the problem with that is that was too early, and I would not do it, and I'd feel guilty for not doing it. But the kids, I get them into their pajamas, we read books, then they get to each watch a cartoon, and they sit in our room and watch a cartoon. And that, you know, they're 15-minute cartoon, 20-minute cartoon, so it gives me 20 to 30 minutes, where I'm just sitting in, in the bedroom with them, and my wife, and I got my noise-canceling headset on okay. and, and my laptop, and, and I, I've learned to work in that environment, and I can do it. And it, and it's, it was kind of an amazing discovery. <laughs> A bubble within chaos. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. It's, it is. It really is. Well, and that was something else I was going to ask you, is what adjustments did you need to make? You know, with all the other responsibilities, you got that bubble. Any other adjustments that you had to make that you can think of? But... I think... Well, yeah, so I, I really try to not, I love doing the blogging and it's something I, I really enjoy and I like to do, but I try to get the, not to do, write the blog stuff until the writing is done. And granted, I do my writing at night and then I'll go ahead and write some posts that I'll schedule throughout, throughout the for, future. Throughout, throughout, for the next day or something. And occasionally I'll pop in in, in real time and, and post something. But my thing is, I got to get the, the, the writing done first and so it used to be that I would blog every day I wouldn't miss a day and sometimes two or three times a day and anybody who follows along knows that I will miss days sometimes two consecutive days in a row because I just don't have the time to get to it sure sure so what else have you learned along the way in this almost 180 plus yeah. out of 190 some odd days what, have, what else have you learned <clears throat> along the way I learned, for me anyway, that I don't need to block out a, a big a big chunk of time. When I do it, I, when I do block out a big chunk of time, I find I can write far more than I ever thought I could write. So a couple of weeks ago, I went to my local library and just set my, my 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 kids had like a birthday party or something that they were at, and I went and sat down there for three hours and I wrote five thousand words, which just astonished me. <laughs> I learned that there are going to be days, and this morning was one of them, where you're tired and you, I, I just, I, I don't feel like writing, but I write anyway. And you look at what you're writing in the, the screen and you're just like, this is not very good. And I just remind myself, it's first draft, it's, it's fine, you can change it later. The important thing is to keep the habit going, you're writing every day. And that that's okay, that, that, that that's what, I've heard other writers say that that's what they go through and, and it's okay. And that, that, you know, these little snippets of time they, they, they're, they're like the little magic bullet for me. They can, I can, there's no reason why if I have 15 minutes, I can't sit down and write, you know, sure. a couple paragraphs. So. Yeah, I recall that too, juggling, you know, with the, having two kids as well. And when I went to Viable Paradise and I'm sitting there with one of my classmates who's, 
you know, single, and he said, I, and I would do the same thing. I'd take every spare 15 minutes and get something in, and he's like, I, how do you do that? And I said, have children around. Yeah, I, 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 do think, I do think it's something you learn. I mean, part of it is, you know, when you have little kids, you have to be adaptable to anything. They're, 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 they, they're not going to control when they're hungry or, or... To use the bathroom. Use the bathroom, <laughs> or when they want to nap, or when they don't want to nap, or when they're going to have a fit about something, or when they're going to slip and fall. And so you have to, you, you kind of build this natural ability to adapt your schedule. And I think that was probably part of what made it possible for me to realize, oh, I could probably fit in these chunks. And I have to say that, you know, my wife is very cool about this and, and she's kind of knows that I use this time. I mean, it, the kids are sort of entertained at, the, at that point, but, but she's very good about making, making sure that, you know, I can, I, if they get to the point where they're like, Daddy this, Daddy that. She'll be like, Daddy's waiting, but he's going to be done soon, so. She's you know. providing some insulation, yes. a little bit of buffer. Yes. Very yes. awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, beyond the writing everyday habit, you, you mentioned a few of these already with the, the Fitbit. You become really dis- disciplined in some other facets of your life, including using the app Evernote, which are some of my favorite posts, because I've actually been an Evernote user for... At least the last four years. Oh wow, that's even longer than me. So I'm not as I'm not as prolific in my use as as you are. But you use it to improve your productivity and and use other technology to help maintain good health. So we're talking about the Hitbit, the Fitbit, Hitbit. That'd be a completely different, <laughs> different tool. It might be an anti-hangover tool that uh, <laughs> that we could be using here. Uh, let's start with the paperless quest. Uh, how did you become an Evernote ambassador, and how has mastering that tool made you a better writer? The ambassador thing, I, I, I was looking, I had always heard, both in my day job and in other places, of this thing called the paperless office, and this has been, people have been talking about this, I've been, I've been at my day job for 19 years, and people have been talking about this for 15, at least the last 15 years, the, the paperless office, this is where things are going, but I'd never seen it. I'd never seen it in my day job. I'd never seen it anywhere else. And so I was kind of, one day I was just sort of like, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to see, and I didn't really even think about what the advantages or disadvantages might be at the time. I just thought, I'm going to see if it's possible, if it's just possible. And, um, I started looking for some, you know, what tools I need and, um, uh, pretty quickly Evernote floated up to the top of the list and I started using it and kind of figuring it out and I would you know just I had a blog and I'd write about it and, and one of their PR people just kind of got in touch with me and said hey we really like the posts you write we're starting an ambassador program they had a sort of I'm, I'm the initial part of the initial class of that ambassador program and they uh, they asked if I would want to about the paperless lifestyle ambassador and, and it was great it was you know they have different ambassadors for different things they have education and they have productivity and they have food and, and sure. travel and and fitness and, and and all this stuff and then there's a ton more of international ambassadors now but that's how it kind of started it was just from the blog and from from the posts that I would write and people found them useful and as part of the ambassador thing I said you know hey I'll, I'll um I'll try to write a post a week on uh on the things that I do, and you know, I, I'm my day job. I'm a software developer, so I think in terms of use cases. Yeah, sure. And basically, if you've read the posts that I write, they're basically the use cases that I that I end up uh, I end up doing. And one of the questions that I do get from some people sometimes is, "Do you really do all those all things, things that you say?" That, but yeah. you've seen some of it. You've yeah. seen. You've, I, we, were, we were talking about that last night. You've seen. I do. I I, I really do. You know, I scan all the stuff, and I I don't have I, I don't really deal in paper. 
but where I can help it, but there's always paper coming in. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it started with that and it just sort of grew and they, they've been growing their ambassador program and there's been a few cool things about it. They flew the ambassadors out uh, last October, I think, to their headquarters. So I got to visit their headquarters oh, and, and we had like a, a, like a day-long training session on some, some of the stuff that they're doing and some of the stuff that they're going to be doing. And, and so it's been a lot of fun. So do you get a peek into the window since you're a software developer? Do you get kind of a peek in the peek into the window of some product design? Do they ever reach out to you and ask questions, seek opinion about product design? When we were there, we got to meet with the developers, the, the, okay. the leaders, the, the team leaders. We have some forums that we use, some private forums that we use um, to, you know, discuss things, but also to make suggestions. And, and I've done, a, I've done I've several suggestions I've made, and they've said, oh yeah, this is great, you know, we're going to take this to the, you know, whether or not they actually implement them is completely outside my control. But but and, and the same is true for the other ambassadors. There's there's a lot of good suggestions that they make. A lot of the other ambassadors are much more heavily now into Evernote business, which is great. But it's just more than what I need for for my stuff. And and so yeah, I mean we 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 got we kind of get a little bit of seeing what's coming and a little bit of input into you know they ask us oh you know what worked for you what what are things you'd like to see so it's kind of kind of cool. Though. That is very cool. Yeah. Well, and so as much as I teased you about it last night. Because I did tease him about one of his uses of Evernote, but actually, it is what Jamie was doing last night. As we're at a Worldcon, I think this is completely apropos. Is talk about how you were using it last night? Because it's actually one of the best practices for networking. You know, I so I, 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 I think it's great. I, as much as I was busted, <laughs> as much as I was busting your chops last night and teasing you, I'm always the last person to know what the best practices are. But yeah, so <laughs> so basically, what I do, I discovered. It might have been last Worldcon that, that the more conventions I went to and I'd, I'd do more networking and meet with people and things, and where especially where it becomes part of your, you know, your writing's my avocation, but it's still, you know, I'm a professional writer and, and you're meeting with editors and you're meeting with, with other writers and, and people, and I'm terrible remembering names. And my memory after I turned 40 seems to have gotten a lot worse. So, so what I do is for every day of the convention, I have a note in Evernote. And when I meet somebody, I'll just add a, a line to the note saying, you know, Brent Bowen or, you know, Jay Workheiser or Kate Baker. And it, it's generally in the order. And some, it's not always people, but sometimes it's, you know, the SF Signal meetup or... Um, a moment. Know. Yeah. And it's just generally in chronological order. And then I can look at it the next day and say, oh, okay, yeah, I remember what that means. And I remember what that means. And I remember what we talked about. And I, I remember this. And, oh, we agreed that we were going to try and do this thing. And, and so... But I've been so busy here that the po I, I skipped a post yesterday on, on, on the convention because I, I blog about blogging about my time at the convention. But if you look at the post that I did this morning for day two and day three, it's basically just my bulleted lists with a little bit of commentary from those from those Evernote posts. So, but that actually has helped a lot. Last year, I had had a, a number of meetings with editors where things were commissioned, and so I had who it was and what we had talked about, and was able to get back to them and not have to think. Uh, what did we discuss? What did we discuss? <laughs> and yeah, so it, it actually turns out to be pretty helpful. That's cool. That's a, and that's a great tip and and a good segue for this because I'd asked you about how you translate Evernote to your writing life. If you were to create an Evernote starter kit for writers, what things? Maybe three, five tips, third-party apps, those kinds of things. Would would you include in a a, a, a starter's kit for writers. Now, they could certainly go back and read all of the oh, blogs, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I think there's like something like 60 or 70. So, it might be a bit overwhelming. Yeah. So, 
for writers, I, I, I was asked to, at Launchpad, I was at Launchpad in July, and, and uh, I had my one of my Evernote Ambassador t-shirts on at the time, and, and they were like, hey, would you give a talk on Evernote for writers one night, an informal one, so I did, and I, there's really not much you need to get started. You, you, you get an Evernote account, which is free. You, you, there's mm-hmm. a premium version, which adds some features, but um, and I think premium's $45 a year. It's not that bad. But the, a, a basic account is free. If you're sort of if you want to move more in the paperless direction, uh, a small a small scanner. I have a really small desktop scanner, not like a big flatbed. It's um, Fujitsu, Fujitsu um, fifteen hundred ScanSnap. I have the uh, the S thirteen hundred I. Okay. Um, and I have it, the ScanSnap fifteen. And it's great. It's, it's you know it scans both sides of the page at the same time, yeah, and you, awesome. you can scan like fourteen pages at once, and that's really useful. You know, the having the app on the mobile device is really useful. Um, Evernote integrates with a lot of things. I have a number of, I use um, IFTTT, which is a service called, it's basically if this, then that. And you can set up all kinds of little things like if I if I check in on Foursquare, uh, send the, the result of that check-in to a note in Evernote. And it does oh, it wow. you know, automatically. So, you know, I check in, if we go to a restaurant, I want to remember the re- where the restaurant we ate at last night was, I check in on Foursquare, and then I have a note, an Evernote, that says here's where you were. Is that a script you had to write? Or no, there's that... a service out there and it's free. It's called ifttt.com. Okay. <clears throat> and there's all kinds of, of of and it's not just with Evernote. You can have you know you can have stuff from your 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 up send you uh, go to a Google spreadsheet or you know there's just all it like uses the APIs for all these different services and and lets you make these cool sort of automations. So um there there's things like that. But for the basics, I mean an Evernote account. A scanner, if if you're trying to go the paperless route, you don't really need much more than that to get started. I mean, I think I I think I said a, sometimes a staple remover is useful because you get you, one of the things one of the key things for me was understanding that if when you're going paperless, you accept the fact that the world isn't you are, mm-hmm. and so the paper paper is still going to come into your life, and so having a process, and so for me, it's each night when I pick up the mail, I'll take the mail and I have a little thing on my desk where there's paper and it paper might accumulate through the day my wife might put something down oh I got I donated these books here's the receipt or something and I just go at that point when I pick up the mail and I open it up scan in what I need to scan in throw the throw throw the rest away or shred it and and so that's where the staple uh, remover sometimes comes in handy but yeah, yeah I don't, you don't really don't need much to get started. How, how are you? So one of the challenges I've had in the, the whole paperless thing, because I've got the Fujitsu, I actually have a similar scanner, and we've, it, I've gotten through about half the office. So I still have one credenza that's full. And what I've realized is a lot of that's medical paperwork, or it's more sensitive. So what have you done with those, with those items? Have you, have you gone ahead and included that kind of stuff too? Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a couple. So... The security is one of, you know, are you concerned about the security and the, you know, the sensitivity of the information you put in the cloud? That's a very popular question, and I, I, I wrote an entire post on it, but my, my personal take, and this is me, is that I don't sleep over it. I, I use good, what I can, I'm a, I'm a, I was an IT guy and I became a developer, and I, I believe I use what's good, what is considered to be very good online um, security practices. I have, I use LastPass, I have a different strong password, randomly generated strong password for every service I use. So, you know, if somebody gets hacked into my Facebook, that's all they're gonna get, they're yeah. not gonna get into anything else. Yeah, sure. And so, I, I mean, the, there was a huge advantage in having all of this stuff in, in Evernote, in the cloud, 
I do monthly. I have a script that does exports the data locally, all the Evernote data locally, to um, my local computer, an external drive, and then that gets backed up by backup. my cloud backup service. Just because I'm, I'm, Redund- I'm a little redundant. Yeah, just have the redundancy. <laughs> but I, I really don't lose sleep over it. it. It's there have been a number of times where it's been really convenient to have some of that information available. We've been to the doctor's office, and the doctor said, "Oh well, you, they didn't happen to send you the X. You didn't happen to bring the X-rays." And we're like, "Uh." No, well, wait. Actually, yeah, let me pull them up. I've got them in Evernote, and we were we refinanced our house last year, and we were at my in-laws in Florida, and they agreed that they could send somebody out to do the closing at my in-laws, and my wife had lost her driver's license the day before, and we needed oh, we needed a, a copy of the driver's license, but I had them in Evernote, so I was just able to you know pull it up and print them out. So you know, there's advantages and disadvantages, and it's really what your comfort level is. Yeah. You can do things like take that medical information and put it into a, a local-only notebook. You can create notebooks that aren't synced to the cloud, so you can have it there. The disadvantage is when you're out somewhere uh, away from that computer, you can't access it, but you can still have it have it available if you want it that that's way. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. That's good insight. The One of the other things that just occurred to me, too, as you were talking about the networking relationships is and working projects have you have you developed any converts and if you've got a pro account were you using and actually collaborating to using it uh, yeah i mean a few people yeah i mean after launchpad several people were like oh yeah I, I went i upgraded to premium or you know and and find it really useful there's some there's some things i talked about there are a little more advanced things that are useful for writers that sort of use cases that i had come up with for short fiction uh you get contracts that have you know the North American serial rights, and then they expire after a certain amount of time, and the rights revert back to you. And then you can do, you have to wait a certain amount of months to do audio and things like that. And you can create reminders in Evernote. So whenever I scan a contract in, and, and the folks at Launchpad like this, I scan a contract in, I'll read it, and I'll create reminders for the dates that the various rights expire. So then I'll get an email reminder on the day that the rights revert back to me. So it's like I don't have to remember to, you know, do some elaborate thing to keep track of all, all that, that and, stuff. But uh, yeah, there have been, I actually get a lot of mail and comments about how useful they think it is. And in fact, even at Worldcon this year and last year, more people come up to me and say, hey, I love your paperless post, than come up to me and say, hey, I love your stories. stories. (laughs) (laughs) We love your stories too, but that's all. You offer a unique perspective in helping us get better organized and and that many aspects of life. So there was another technology, we talked about the Fitbit. What is it? Because we talked about it here, and some people may not be familiar with what it is. What is it? Why? Why did you decide to pick it up? The, a Fitbit. I have. I ha- originally had a Fitbit Ultra, and then when the Flex came out, I, I switched to a Flex in part because I lost my Ultra. <laughs> it, it's it's a it's a um, activity tracker. It's essentially what it is. It can, tracks your steps, calories. It tracks your sleep if you want to track your sleep. The Ultra would track how many flights of stairs you climbed, and. I, I'm, I'm actually very interested in data and par- partly because of my day job and quantified self. There's this quantified self movement where there's all this information that's being automatically collected that you, we have access to ourselves that can, be, can give you insights into, into things. And sometimes it's just fun to play with the data, but, but mm-hmm. also as a way of getting into better shape. I, I, I think I was saying before, my, my schedule is so full. I used to go to the gym. I used to work with a trainer for a while. I just don't have any time for that at all now. And so the Fitbit provides a little bit of a motivating way to, because you can, like, it shows you how many steps you have, and you can have a friends list, and you can kind of see where they are, and you can egg them on and stuff. And so Scott Edelman's another one who has a Fitbit, and we're kind of always 
comparing and going back and forth and and yeah it's the the, the flex is great because it's like a wristband mm-hmm. and you don't you never you don't have to think about it you don't you don't have to lose it you don't have to remember when you go to sleep at night you can just tap it and it puts it into sleep mode and you don't have to remember to like put a wristband on or anything like that and um, there's some pretty cool inf- stuff that comes out of the data that when when you actually look at it and see um, and compare it with other stuff so you know I track my writing I have scripts to automatically track that I actually have key loggers that track at work and at home. They don't track like what keys I'm pressing, but they, they'll tell me at given times of the day, minute by minute, here's when you were typing and here's how much you were typing. And if you combine the walking and the typing and the reading, you know, all, mash all that up, you get a really kind of interesting picture of what your day looks like. It's like, sure. And, you know, one of the interesting insights that came out of that is I was sure that on the days that I walked a lot, and read a lot, I wouldn't write a lot, or when I walked a lot and wrote a lot, I wouldn't read a lot, and vice versa. But it turns out that on the days where I do a lot of something, walking, reading, writing, it's a lot of all things. You know, I'll have days where I'll walk 20,000 steps, and I'll have read for five hours that day, and I'll have written 2,700 words or something like that, you know. And then on days where I barely, you know, it's like I walk 6,000 steps, those are the days where, like, I didn't do any reading that day, and... I barely got 500 words when I was. So it's kind of interesting to see. True those. law, of, true law of physics, right? Yeah. Body in motion. Yes, exactly. So, and yeah, if you're yeah. a couch potato, you're going to be a couch potato. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to do anything. You know what's interesting about this too? So I have a competitor product, uh, competitor's product. I use it in some regards too because of the writing's uh, sedentary lifestyle. Yes. So there's an alarm that I have set every 30 minutes that it'll vibrate on my wrist because oh, nice. I could literally sit and write for four hours and not think about it and not get up, which is not very healthy. Yeah. So I have it set to every 30 minutes to remind me, vibrate to remind me to get up and move. You need to move a little bit. Yeah, so. yeah. The uh, I, I actually switched to a standing desk. I have like a desk at work that will go up and down and at work I'll do oh, the cool. standing desk sometimes. It, it's gotten easier as I've done more walking, but that's kind of hard. That's kind of hard to get started on the standing desk. So, so but at least then you're kind of you're 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 a little bit more active. You're already you're burning right. more calories. Yeah, and you're, yeah. yeah, you're burning some more things. So, Jamie, where can people find out the blog? Find out more about you, your work. Yeah. What's so, going on in your so, life? so my blog is uh, jamietoddrubin.com, and on Twitter I'm jamietr and. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think everything is on the, I mean, there's the bibliography of what I've written, and, you know, I have a post about how I became a science fiction writer, which people seem to like, and there's the Evernote, the Going Paperless, it's called Going Paperless, um, the series, and that's on there also, and, and, yeah, I mean, you go there and you be inundated for years if you try to read the whole thing. Well, we have a couple, let's talk about that really quickly, the story about how you became a, how you became a science fiction writer. You don't mind. Oh yeah, sure. I, I somebody pointed out recently that they really like the post, but it's a little out of date now. <laughs> so at some point, I have. Wait to... Wait a second. How does history become out of date? Uh, well, I had, I had. It was up to a certain. <laughs> you revisionist history. It was here? up what to a certain to point in time, and then I hadn't gone. Oh, you could brought it up to brought it up to date. Up, up to date. Yeah. <laughs> I started writing to be published. I, I wanted to be a science fiction writer. In January of 1993, I was a junior in college at uh, University of California, Riverside. <clears throat> and I was like, you know, I'd been reading science fiction for a long time. Uh, you know, I, my heroes, people like Isaac Asimov and Barry Malzberg and uh, Clifford Simic and uh, C.L. Moore and Connie Willis. And 
I just wanted to be like them. You know, it's one of those things. And so I, I, I had written little bits here and there when I was a kid, you know, and it's all, all, all you know, kid stuff. But, but I thought, I'm going to try and write stories. And that was in January of uh, 1993. I think, like, I wrote a story, and it was... I may, I may, and I'll say this publicly, I may post the first two or three stories I ever wrote after I decided that I was going to be a writer as an example to hopefully make people feel better about the fact that your early stories really do are ugh, scary. Scary he did a bad. full body shiver, folks. You missed the full, <laughs> like from the the tip of his the tip of his New Balance to his sunglasses. He did a full body shiver. But I, I wrote these stories that didn't have beginnings, middles, and ends, and I yeah. thought I was being clever, and and I would then send them out. Mm-hmm. And I think the first two or three, I think I sent the first one out on like January tenth, and then the first two or three I sent to. I don't know, I got a copy of Writer's Marketplace or something and sent to places that I'd never heard of. And I think the third or fourth story I sent to either The New Yorker or Playboy. <laughs> you know, not knowing. You what know, the markets were. Not knowing, yeah. Um, but <laughs> Playboy, I love this. Yeah, but you learn, you learn, and I, you know, and I was persistent. I didn't always write or submit, I think, every year, but I did quite a bit. And I did more and more as time went on, and it took me 14 years of submitting. I was 14 years of writing, somewhat inconsistently, and 14 years of submitting before I sold my first story. That was in January of 2007. I sold um, a story called When I Kissed the Learned Astronomer to um, Intergalactic Medicine Show. And then it started picking up a little bit quicker after that. I sold After that, I sold the story to Apex, and then... I sold a story to Analog, and then Daily Science Fiction, it's a place in Italy, and then I started selling nonfiction, some nonfiction stuff. Uh, so it started picking up, but it really was that 14 years, you know, there, there are probably people who can do it, new writers even, or today, who can do it a lot faster than I did, in part because I was not writing with the kind of um, determination and, and obsessiveness for to get it in each day that I do today, and in part because... I'm a, you know, I'm, I call myself a brute force writer. You have to have some basic skills uh, at writing to be a writer, but I really have to read a lot and kind of digest how stories are constructed to, to learn that. And actually, where really think things really started taking off for me was uh, just before I, I got married in the summer of 2008, I'd sold two stories at this point, and I signed up for the... I forget who told me about it originally, but I signed up for the, um, the James Gunn science fiction, short fiction workshop. This was uh, one of the earlier, I guess, online workshops. And so Jim, there was, I don't, I don't remember how many of us exactly, 10, eight or 10 of us. And it's an eight week online thing where you're sort of doing these discussion group things and talking about the first four weeks, talking about short fiction and, and different aspects of the write, of writing characters and plot and you know all that sort of stuff and you're doing writing exercises. And then the last four weeks is the story that you're writing is part of the, the workshop, and ultimately, you know, you're critiquing each other's stories, and, and, and Jim critiques your story. And I did that, and uh, two or three other people really were really good participants in that. And after that, I sent the story that I wrote to Analog and got a page-long rejection from Stan Schmidt wow. saying, I really like your writing, you know, send, send us something, send me something else. And I did. I got another page-long rejection saying, yeah, this is really good. Here's where I see problems. Send me something else. And I did, and I sold the story. 
and and I ended up selling the story that I wrote at the workshop to another another uh, another market. But I would say definitely, I, I got to meet Jim here. Finally, he's the guest of honor, and it was I said I was in the Sifra Suite, and I said, you know, thank you so much for having that. It was like exactly what I needed. It was at exactly the right time. So if anybody is looking for a recommendation for uh, Jim Gunn's um, online fiction science fiction writing workshop. It turned it around for me. I mean, that was a key factor. I would not be where I am right now without that workshop. Which is probably modeled after the Campbell workshops yeah. as well. The live Campbell workshops in the the middle of, they're generally June or July in Lawrence, Kansas. So being an educator, I'm sure he appreciated hearing hearing that from me. It was just good to be able to tell him, you know. Yeah. And I think, I think any workshop like that, but it was just to be, have your, have, a grandmaster as your instructor is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. So, last question for you is: give us a preview of your upcoming story in Beyond the Sun. Beyond the Sun, I think the theme of it was you know getting out of the solar system, colonizing other stars, uh, other planets around other stars, and so my story is called Flipping the Switch, and it's about a guy who it's sort of a, in a depressed depression, futuristic depression, Earth is trying to support his family and uh, has kind of a certain psychological tick that makes him uniquely qualified to be a starship pilot and is a, and it's a well-paying job. And But his wife is pregnant at the time and they agree that they're going to, this is going to be how they sort of lift themselves up. And relativity kind of gets in the way a little bit, and he's just basically ferrying passengers back and forth, and it's sort of the story of him coming to terms with what it means to try to make a better life for your family. Very cool. Very cool. Jamie, man, it's been excellent. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, this has been great. And it's been excellent having you on the show. Thanks for chatting with me. Oh, yeah, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. This is great. All right, we got to close this interview with the proper man out there. Double thaw. There you go. All right. All right. Take care. Visit Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing for show notes, links, reviews, special guests, videos, and more. Email us at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing at gmail.com. Sound effects from the Free Sounds Project. Music by Asymmetry, found at musically.com. No authors were seriously damaged in the making of this podcast.